Thank you for tuning in at Ravenna Assembly of God. We hope you enjoy this message and are blessed from it. If you want to tune in to more messages, log on to RavennaAG.com and search under the media tab. Thank you and God bless. You hear those things from time to time. I, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I remember the days of, of uh, we used to have a clock that sat up on the wall. And uh, the, the front half of the church, they were the spiritual ones, right? Because the ones in the back couldn't see the clock that was hanging up on the wall. So if it got to be a certain time, uh, about 70% of these people would turn their heads and look up at the clock to see what time it was, as if to say something, you know what I mean? <laughs> Anyways, uh, remember the old joke when a pastor takes off his watch and lays it on the pulpit, what does it mean? Absolutely nothing. So, but uh, I'm not wearing my watch today in case you didn't notice. Somebody got vulnerable to poison ivy. Oh, yeah, so I had to take off my ring, my watch, and let it be said that those shots do work that you get from the doctor. Amen. <laughs> really can do. All righty. We have been in a series over the past week or so. Actually, we've kind of been touching on a couple things concerning the armor of God. And as we talk about the armor of God, we're finishing up today. Uh, there's, a, there's a place that God has really been dealing with my heart to go to next week that, that's totally different from what we're dealing with right now. But when I talk about the armor of God, uh, the whole idea that Paul writes about is that we are dressed and ready to go. This is not something that we just, you know, sort of casually stroll into. It's something that has to be a part of our life. And they're very symbolic in what they represent. And what we're trying to do is, is teach this on a practical, everyday, where we live understanding. But I'll say it again, this, this, this dressed up and ready to go. Say that with me. Dressed up and ready to go. That is what the Bible tells us to be in a spiritual dimension. When it's going to come to facing our enemies, we need to be dressed and ready to go. There's a huge passage in, in the Bible that we've talked about that was used, that we've used as our, our, our main foundational text about overcoming the enemy and his attacks that's found in Ephesians 6. Let's read it together. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on as much of the armor of God as you can. Yeah, well, why is it? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Think about that next time you're dealing with that person who's got you in a, in a blood pressure way too high. That you may put, uh, in other words, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's a large group, friend. They don't get you one way, they'll get you another. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. There it is again, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Everybody say evil day. Yeah, and remember what that means. We'll get back to it to remind us here. And having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you were able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. That's a heavy-duty one. We're going to be talking about the equipment here, but we're going to be getting back at, at another time about praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication 
for all the saints. Now, just a quick reminder from last week that we need to be ready for the potential battle at all times. All times. I, I, mean, I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't know when, we don't know where the enemy is going to strike at us. But let me tell you something. Let me prophesy. He going to. I, I, I mean, you know, you, as Jesus said, will have what? Tribulation. You don't have to claim it. You don't have to confess it. You don't have. It's, it's going to happen, right? And, 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 and don't be lulled into thinking that because everything is fine today, everything will automatically be fine tomorrow. Listen, I found that the devil never gives up trying to defeat you. He's always looking for your blind side, and he's always looking for your weak moments. It's foolishness to wait until the enemy strikes to prepare for a potential battle, just like we said last week. Because the truth is, it's often too late to get yourself clothed in the armor for the battle after the battle's begun. You've done been wounded because you didn't have a breastplate on. You've been clunked over the head because you didn't have a helmet on. Okay, don't shout me down yet. I'm not, I'm not done. But Paul refers to the evil days, which are the intense moments of Satan's attack and temptation. How many of those happen at different times, different days, different hours, and different ways? Evil days are those intense moments of his attacks. And look, we are to put on, clothe ourselves in the righteousness and power that are rightfully the Lord's. You and I have the ability to put on these attributes of Christ because we have put our trust in him as our Savior and our Lord. Where does he dwell? In us. Well, no, in here. You are joined to him. And what I'm, I'm saying here right now is that he dwells in us. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are given the power to become what we know and what Paul has written as more than conquerors. Not just a conqueror, more than a hyper conqueror. A crazy man, a crazy woman. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you crazy. That's what I want the enemy. That's what I want the enemy to know about me. I'm a crazy conqueror. I don't sit still. I don't wait for things to just pass by. I'm crazy, and I'm not stopping. Paul also wrote that we are to stand having girded our, our waist with truth, if you remember from last week. He, Paul was saying in, in, to, to them, he says, you have to know what to take into your life and what to eliminate from your life. You know, smell the coffee, friend. You know what's, what's right and what's wrong as far as, but you should really know what's wise. Truth must be the filter for all perceptions, ideas, and dreams. Truth. Truth. Not a better idea, not a, a, an attitude, not, a, not an opinion, not an editorial. Truth. Not a fact. I know facts. Facts are facts. But truth triumphs facts all the time. And then Paul writes and, and says that we are to stand having shot our feet. Our feet. <laughs> feet. Somebody tried feet. So we are to shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel. I'm not going to hit on the breastplate again. I'm going to skip over that. I want to get into the meat of this today. He says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, just as a real quick understanding because of what he's alluding to and the, and the picture that these people have in their mind, there was no Roman soldier that would go into battle without shoes. Which, you know, were actually thick-soled boots that they wore. What they did is they allowed the soldier to walk over all sorts of ground and, and, and to go long distances. 
I mean, that, that way their feet are protected, they're fresh, they're, they're still strong. There's a lot of experts of war that have noted that the Romans were able to conquer so much territory partially because the Roman soldiers had adequate shoes. I'm just thinking about wearing those boots there to kick the old enemy around. That's just me. I'm thinking something else out the box. But the gospel of peace is not getting ready to preach or to have peace with, between people. It refers to the good news of Jesus, who is the provision in the first place for our peace. Paul is saying we are to stand firm, grounded in the fact that we have peace with of God, we have the peace of God in our hearts. Hey, friend, we know who we are in Christ. And, and as a result, we don't have to prove ourselves to anybody. We know we're forgiven, that we're loved. Can somebody say amen to that? I mean, there is no greater comfort, there's no greater rest than to know that I am in him and he is in me. I don't have to prove that to anybody. Why do I have to prove something I already know? Simply rest in it. There's an old song that we used to sing, old hit. I know whom I have believed it and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Well, that was wonderful, Pastor. You just did a great job right there. No, that's, that's Romans. Go read it sometime. I know whom I have believed it and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So, for that person over there. Anyways, what I'm saying is, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not sure what's going on today, but I'm having a good time. How about you? You want me to turn the air down a little bit so it gets a little cooler? Just asking. One of the worst things, and I, and I mean this, one of the worst things you can do is to go into battle against the devil with fear in your heart. Why? Because fear it disables. It, it paralyzes you. And understand, fear keeps us from taking decisive action that wins a spiritual battle. If you're, if you're in a spiritual battle and you there's fear, fear clouds the memory and keeps us from making wise decisions. Look, we are to face the devil with calm assurance. And you know what that calm assurance is all about? It, it, it's the calm assurance that Jesus knows all about this situation. He knows where I am. He knows what's going on. He knows what I'm facing. He knows what's coming against me. And I can rest because I know he who has me has already defeated he who's coming after me. Greater is he that is in me. And friend, that battlefield out there is just littered with shrapnel and, and debris. You know what I mean? Go look in your mailbox and take a look at those unexpected bills that come in. What's this? You know, you get to the point sometimes where you don't even want to go to the mailbox. It could be an accident. Your, your car breaking down. Oh, hallelujah. Our paths are filled with rocks, boulders, huge problems, small problems. But we must have peace to walk through a day from the time we get up in the morning Hope you get up in the morning, not noontime, young people. Till the time that you go to bed at night. Having shod your feet 
with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Three things I want to give you here. Real quick, three things concerning the gospel of peace. Number one, you are the one who accepts into your life the fact that Jesus is you is your peace. Okay? You you're the one. Nobody nobody's going to talk you into that. No you got to come to a point where that's a realization in your life, like the Holy Spirit has tapped you on the shoulder, your eyes have been opened, it's like a revelation, you've accepted Christ in your life, and you know, you know that fact that Jesus is your peace. So you stand. You stand? Yes, because I am in Christ, Christ is in me. And you know what the kicker is here? Christ is the Prince of Peace. And His peace, therefore, is resident and available to me. Oh, yes, it is. How many know it's time to apply it? In other words, when you are being blistered, for example, with angry words, you respond with kind words. When you get insulted, you know, people call me short all the time. That, that's, that's insulting, right? You respond with gentleness. Come here, you little nubby step. You know, you're... We, we are to walk in peace. Look at, look at what Paul wrote. He said, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer... And supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Don't just come to God with a grocery list. Telling him what you want. God, I need you to do this. I need you to fix that. I need you to heal this. I need you to provide that. I need you to do all these things. God, I need you. And then where's he at, right? Well, I'll hit him. That's my prayer. You didn't even spend time in his presence. Look at what it says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. I'll tell you what. I'll give you a, a go home and study those words out and see what they mean before you get your, to the point of your request. Because when you do, it says, and he means it, and it's true, the peace, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and what? Your minds through Christ Jesus. Secondly, <coughs> excuse me, you are the one who must set your mind and heart in advance of adversity to respond with peace. <laughs> Ever meet anybody who had a chip on their shoulder? Boy, there's a lot of them. It's like they love conflict. It like gives them a sense of power and control, evidently. Look, to, to, shod, to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace is to do the exact opposite. To take God's peace into every situation that you encounter. You prepare yourself. Hear that. You prepare yourself. And, 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 and understand there's a boldness that wails up within. A boldness. Not some timidness, not some cowardness, not some fear, but there's a boldness that gets up in you that you know. And, 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 I'm, 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 and the reality is you're seeing what's going on, and your response very simply is, I'm bringing God's peace into this place. Huh. I'm bringing God's peace into this place. Hello, somebody. I'm bringing God's peace. That peace can be violent. That peace can be overwhelming, but it is peace. It is shalom. It is God's, it is, it is peace between me and God. Shalom is peace between me and you. And there's a third part of that, by the way, in case you ever missed it. Shalom is also having peace with myself. That's true shalom. That's peace. 
Proverbs 4 says what? Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Friend, without peace in our heart, we're not going to take the risk of sharing the gospel with somebody or speaking up in a group that's ridiculing the things of God. It just isn't going to happen. It's like you're already defeated before you even got in. I mean, you're not going to take the risk of sharing the gospel with somebody. Your mouth is going to continually stay. Um, <clears throat> be dressed and ready. Okay, okay number three. Uh, our goal as, as someone who has been shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace is to see others experience the peace of God in their hearts. Hello? see others there's there's a there's a there's something in here that I see others and my heart yearns for them to, to know to, to experience to understand and 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 just the peace of God got to be in them you see them in their element you see them in let me just say this. Peace is not a thing. Peace is a person. Jesus is our peace. So we choose to walk where Jesus leads us and to walk as Jesus walked. And as a result, we gird our waist. We have put on the breastplate. We have shod our feet. And now on the forefront, we're going to battle. So what do you do when you get ready to go into battle? You pick up your arms, your weapons, right? You've done clothed yourself. Now you got to do something. It's about time. It's about taking up arms. Look, if you're going to pick up a weapon, you better not think of it as a careless act or careless random act. You better understand what you're picking up. Because the same is true in our spiritual armor that the Apostle Paul is describing to the Ephesians. He says, taking the shield of faith, taking the helmet of salvation, taking the sword of the Spirit. So I want to hit the first one here, taking the sword of the Spirit. We talked about fiery darts several weeks ago, but I want to talk about the shield of faith because, again, the Roman shield was made basically of wood, and it had a, 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 this, this leather. Uh, sometimes it was metal, but other times it was leather that was pulled over it. There were two types of shields, basically. You had one that was kind of small and round that you wore on your arm, you know, to try to block things and, and so forth. And, and, and there was another one that was described as a door. That's the shield that Paul is describing here. And, 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 and it was a large door model, I guess is a good way of putting it. it. It would cover most of the soldier's body. Now these shields that we're talking about, these door shields, were designed to be drenched in water. Of course, that would make them much heavier, but what it did is it allowed them to withstand the fiery darts of the enemy. All, they had, all the soldier had to do was to kneel down and hold the shield over him, and as a result, he's protected. The arrows would hit, but the fires would be quenched let me tell you something, that's the way our faith operates. When the enemy fires thoughts into our minds, our faith quenches those thoughts. Please grab this. Your faith is the most powerful weapon against the devil. Your faith is, I mean, it's the first line of defense, your faith is. It's the most powerful weapon against the enemy. I'm sorry, you can do a lot of things, act a lot of ways, but it's your faith. Look, the, the devil, let's, let's do it this way. The devil sends the thought, and faith puts out the thought with a response. I will trust God, and I trust him to help me 
use what he gives me to bring him glory. How, how, how many know that the devil, he, he, what, he, what he does is he sends the thought, but he can't read your mind. So it's this thing here in our response that allows him the access he has by what we end up saying. He sends the thoughts. We begin to talk about this and that. And there. But instead, what we need to do is open our mouths with the response that says, I'm going to trust God. Great is my Lord, greatly to be praised. He is the overcomer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And all of a sudden, guess what? Boom! That fiery dart's been quenched. Look, <laughs> faith is intended to work in every area of your life. Every area. Say that with me. Every area. Oh, yes, it is. We are to trust God for everything and in every circumstance. Uh, I, I say that because in all honesty, <laughs> hmm. many of us don't really walk in a boldness of faith. Want to know why? Because we don't even know where faith comes from. Oh, Pastor, the Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, guess what? We don't know our word. We don't know his word. We don't hear him speaking to us. Why? Because we're never in his presence. I mean, the best we do, we remember to pray over our meal before we eat it. <laughs> and that depends on whether there's other people around you because you don't want to embarrass them. Faith is not something you can muster up. Okay? You, and, and understand, faith is not trust, and trust is not faith. Faith is faith. And faith is something he creates in us. So where does that come from? It comes from our time with him, that presence with him. He builds that faith so that when we walk out of his presence, we're walking how? By faith and not by sight. So, so here we come along and things happen and we're like, where is God? Why is God doing something? Why? And our fear breaks down and we get all mad at God and we get bitter and upset. And we, don't, we, don't, we, we find ourselves uh, rebelling against what he asks us to do and coming along this side. Because, do you want to know why? Because there's no faith in our lives. Why? Because there's no presence of God in our lives. I don't, I don't mean to be mean here this morning. But I'm in trying to reach in and grab hold of what is, is bearing witness in your heart that we know we should be spending time with him. Well, of course you are. You're, you're out there vulnerable. You don't got armor on. What you got is, is well, you know, <laughs> you're naked, but naked. And the enemy is going to take advantage of you everywhere he can. You're vulnerable to injury and even death. Because the reality is, there is no faith you're walking in. Well, I'm be I believe God. I believe that God's going to do it. I do too. Even the demons do and tremble. What sets you apart is that which he creates in you through that time that you have with him. And when you begin to walk out, it's like Jesus, Jesus who would pray all night long, spend time with his father, and he goes out, and does he pray for the sick? No, he just tells them, you're healed. Didn't have to pray. Because he's walking in a boldness. He's walking in a faith. He's standing. Friend, I'm sorry, but there's all sorts of garbage being thrown out of this all over the place. I'm, I'm tired of www.zibit.com. We wonder why we don't see things happen in our life. And we end up not expecting very much, do we? We don't expect much because there's really not much faith there. Because there's not much presence. 
Faith is not about what we can do for God. It's about what God desires to do for us, in us, around us. Let me tell you something. When he begins to build that faith in you, the the devil's fiery darts are no match for that kind of faith. First, the helmets. He says in Ephesians 6, 17, he says to take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. And again, going back to, you know, just like the shields, the, the Roman helmets were usually made of leather and sometimes with plates of metal around the temple or, oh, I'm sorry, just, <laughs> everybody put your hand on your forehead, right? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Well, Somebody pray for me right now, please. The metal would be in the leather on the temples or, again, on the forehead. And the helmet, the reason for it was to protect the head from blows in hand-to-hand combat. Take the helmet of salvation means to remind ourselves that Jesus is our Savior and that we once were lost and that by His grace we are no longer in bondage to sin. Look, it's to remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit is always with us to to save us from the enemy. Always. Not sometimes. It don't look like he's saving me. Well, you know what? You're looking at the results instead of the giver of the results. Trust him with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Watch and see. Wait and hear, and you'll be amazed at what the Lord can do. Every believer who accepts Jesus as a Savior is is saved from the judgment and eternal death of sin. Hello? Salvation, as we know, is the experience of confessing our condition of sin, and acknowledging that Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross was was literally the full sacrifice that was required by God for the punishment of our sin and receiving what Jesus did on our behalf. That's, That's the salvation experience. Look, Jesus is the Savior. His work in us is salvation. Hello? There's a tremendous benefit in calling to our minds the truth that Jesus, by his mercy, by his loving kindness, he died on a cross so that we can live, should live, will live, might live, free of sin and inherit our eternal home in the heavens. Listen. Nobody can monitor or govern your thinking. Nobody can monitor or govern your thinking but you. You govern what you will dwell on in your mind. You have the power to dismiss thoughts or to entertain thoughts. What is the most important thought to keep at the forefront of your thinking? I'm going to give you the answer. It is the truth that Jesus is my Savior. That should be at the forefront of all of our minds. The truth that Jesus is my Savior. When when, when that is your first thought at all times, listen. What you have then is a keen awareness that you have been delivered from the bondage of sin. When that is at the forefront of of your mind, you you have a deep understanding that certain things no longer fit you as a believer in Christ. And you have no desire 
to cross or get close to that line. Oh, you, you know exactly what I'm, the choices we make, you know. It's, it's, it's like, you know, here's that line right there. And as, as a believer, you know, we, that, that, we know that, that that should be the furthest thing from our lives. That's, that's totally on the other side. But yet we try to, you know, how close can we get without something happening? And, and we get real close and we're bumping it kind of thing, bumping it kind of thing. And then eventually we just go, nothing. And guess what happens? Nothing! And we go, ooh, well, maybe it's not so. And all of a sudden, the justifications come in. All of a sudden, the reasonings come in. And, and so we keep going like, until we get caught. I don't even need to tell you what goes on here. But, you know, God is not mocked. What we reap, when that thought that Jesus is my Savior is at the forefront of your heads, your minds, you know what else comes along? You have this compassion for others who are in need of a Savior. You're also quicker to give thanks and to offer praise for what he's done. You don't have for the wor- you don't have to wait for the worship team to come up with the right song for you to go. Oh, that that emotionally moves me, huh? Okay, hallelujah. Yeah, you get it. Don't matter where you do. Boom, full blown, man. I'm gonna worship. I need an interpretation. Anybody got it? Salvation in this passage doesn't refer solely to a person's initial acceptance of Christ. Look, the word salvation here also refers to God's ongoing rescuing and delivering power. Oh, come on, somebody. It refers to the ongoing I know who I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that. He's with me. He's for me. He will never leave me. He's not going to forsake me. He is right there beside me. He's there rescuing me. And I don't know, but if you haven't looked close enough yet, this guy needs rescuing from time to time. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you look like you need a good rescue. All right, I want you to remember this statement because I, I, I made it a while ago, and I'll, I'll say it again. The helmet protects the head. It protects the brain. It protects the mind. And, and, and again, remember, we've said this. The mind is the real spiritual battleground where the enemy fights his strongest, his dirtiest, his bloodiest, and his most important battles. Oh, yes, he does. We have to protect our thought lives. Hello. And remind ourselves, friend, continually remind ourselves that God desires to save us from all doubts and to deliver us from all lies. All all day long, all day long, man, it gets old. From, you know, messages on bumper stickers to television bombarding us with with messages that deny the saving power of God? You know what the world's message simply is? It is, you have to save yourself. It's up to you. You have to look out for uno, uno, number one. In Spanish, it's uno. In French, it's uh. Say that with me. Uh. I'll do it while Cat Sang. Say that with me. Uh. There. Did I impress you? No. I watch kids' programs on PBS too, you know? Look what God's word declares. It's just the opposite. 
We trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially to those who believe. My defense is of God who saves the upright in hearts. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. Selah. Let your mind think of that word. Pause right there. Get Selah. Our God is the God of salvation. And to God, the Lord belong escapes from death. Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. This might come as a shock to you, but you cannot save yourself. You, you can't save yourself from sin, let alone acts of terror or temptation or accidents or even sickness. God alone is our Savior. Look, look, people who don't believe that God desires to save them, they live with doubt, they live with discouragement, they have no hope. Temporary emotional things, maybe, from time to time. But the problem is they are limited with their own resources and ability. I don't know about you, but the last time I tried to use my resources and my ability, didn't work. I got so far, and that was it. Then you get all stressed out. Because you don't have what it takes to meet the demands that are being put on you by this world around us. So you slip into an apathy. You sort of let things slide, go by. Next thing you lose spirit. Before you know it, you're discouraged. You're depressed. Because you're limited by your own resources and ability. Friend, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and that God desires to rescue you from what the world is spewing out, you are probably living on the edge of discouragement, of despair, and of disillusionment. But if you know that Jesus is your Savior, and you know that God desires to rescue you from evil, what you have is a great capacity for hope. There is something better just ahead. I'm here to declare, friend, I know it might not look it at times, especially today, but God is in control. And his purposes are going to unfold for your benefit. And I don't mean just some, I'm talking about both for now and for and in eternity. What happens with believers who put on the armor, who know his presence, they walk in an expectancy. How many know what I mean when I talk about walking in expectancy? Hello? When's he going to get done with this message? Why does it have to be so cold in here? I'm getting hungry. My blood sugar's dropping. I got to eat something. And everybody said, dear you, let there be kind words that come from me as I shod my speakers. You know what? I'm going to get in trouble for this one, too. But did you ever notice that pregnant women walk different? I knew it. I was going, I was going to just guess it. Might as well say it now. But yeah, I mean, there, there's a different walk that takes place. And you know, when, when they go down to set, they, 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 you know, they're going to sit down, and it, it's, it's different. You know, they get up there, and it's, it's like, why am I saying that? Why am I, why am I being? Because there's an expectancy in their life. If there was an expectancy in her life, they wouldn't be walking like that. They wouldn't be sitting like that. 
They wouldn't be talking. They wouldn't be craving certain things in their life. Like pickles and chocolate. There's an expectancy in believers' lives. You can tell by the way they walk, the way they talk. They're different from the rest of the world. We've we got, we got you know, this cancel culture and woke and all these things to where you say, wrong, there's just no hope. Let's, let's defund the government. I mean, the, you know, let's just, <coughs> I'm having fun. I'm just here to declare to you, God is who he said he is. And he will do what he says he will do. I was thinking about her the other day. It was my great-grandmother, Diva. She, great-grandmother, dear, was, was about four foot six. And she spoke with her broken accent. Her family had come from the Australia, Austria, I'm sorry, Austrian uh, countries back over. So she had a German language to her. Um, the thing is, she lived over off of Arlington in a section that was, you know, a little bit rough and stuff. And she was from that European where you walked everywhere and did everything. And I remember her telling us the story of being attacked and how this, this guy was trying to rip her purse out of her arms. And she didn't have much. She really did not have much. She'd been a widow for a long time. And back then there wasn't any kind of, you know, retirement packages and everything else. And Social Security really wasn't much of a deal back then. But I, I remember she just she, she was getting ready to go to the store and he attacks her and, and, and throws her to the ground and, and is trying to rip her purse out. And the only thing she knew to come out of her mouth was Jesus, Jesus. And she said it about five or six times. And that guy stood up, his arms out, and he turned, and he ran as if there were pit bulls on his back end. She got up and she said, oh. Because there was an expectancy in her. She was born in 1892. That's older than, than some of you, I know. But this woman, this, this, I'll never forget how this woman impacted my life in several areas. Number one, she was a good cook. Bless her heart. But she was a dying fool. Born again believed God for everything. It wasn't that she had everything. She had what she needed. God made sure of that everywhere, in every sense. Jesus. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And he can be yours too. Last thing, very quickly, is the sword of the Spirit. His word says to take up the sword of the Spirit. The sword was a short sword. It wasn't, it was just uh, umpteen inches long. It wasn't some big sword that could, no, it was made, it, it was short because of hand-to-hand -hand combat. So you had this sword. And, and the neat thing about this, this, this little sword, this dagger, whatever you want to call it, it, it was sharpened on both sides. Not one side, but both sides were very, very sharp. So the idea behind it was no matter how you held it, whether it was this way, whether it was turned around, whether it was this hand or whether it was that hand, no matter however you held it, it had cutting power. I want you to hear that. I know the worship team's walking up here, but 
I'm prettier than they are, so don't they? That sword had cutting power. No matter how you held it, no matter how you turned it, you had cutting power. It was referred to as a weapon of offense, not defense. That weapon was a weapon of offense. In Ephesians, it says there, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God. Always tell people, when the pastor goes down the steps, down into this part right here, does it mean you're in trouble? No, it means you're going to be here another half an hour. That's what it means. I want you to see this. Take, take up the next screen here. The Greek word for the word of God is rhema. It's not logos. Logos is the word of God that you have, that you read, that you take a look at. Rhema is a noun word. In other words, it, it's, it's not something that means something for you. It's where God opens your eyes to something. It's a, it's a now word that speaks to you according to what's happening right now in the place that you're at. It's a now word. You're walking through the stuff that you're walking through, but you're walking with the armor of God on you. And as a result, you have that shield of faith that's quenching the fiery darts, and you reach in and you pull out that now word. It's because God's presence is speaking a word in your spirit, and that word is truth. And you know that you know that you know that you know. It could be an answer to something. It could be a direction to something. It just, be, could, it just could be God speaking into your spirit about that present moment that says, be still. It could be you're standing in front of uh, another scenario or situation, but the, the end result is it's a two-edged sword. It has cutting power, able to cut able to swirl. Un Anybody remember what Hebrew says? Sharper than any two-edged sword. Able to divide and asunder bone, marrow, spirit, soul.